1: Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. Across from me is Chris, as always. Chris, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. We're ready to talk about movies.
1: Yeah, and I apologize in advance my voice. I think the last time we recorded, my voice was pretty bad, too. Um, I'm on the back end of sickness now, so I've kind of <laughs> gone through the whole bell curve of sickness. Awesome. I'm on the tail end of having a pretty rough holiday season, but... Uh, Uh, We're back. We're ready to go to first episode of 2016. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah. So welcome. Happy new year to everybody listening. Um, you know, one thing, Chris, I don't want to spring this on. You Maybe we have to schedule a special episode, but I realize we haven't really done our best of 2015. This is true. So maybe in another few weeks, we might want to schedule something special because I know the audience is clamoring for it. I'm sure they it's are. It's become the annual tradition. They've We've heard everybody else's
2: end of the year list. That's right. I haven't got ours yet. Yeah,
1: so. everybody's wanting to know it's on the tip of everybody's tongue <laughs> as we're out for dinner or drinks. You know, what do Alan and Chris think were the best films of 2015? We, we have to preserve that tradition.
2: Actually, I guess we can kind of wrap that with kind of our Oscar predictions because those will kind of fall in I think line that sounds together. like a perfect
1: plan. I think that's what we okay. ought to do. Best of 2015 and Oscar predictions here in the next few weeks. Stay sounds tuned. Good. We have teased that episode. It's <laughs> going to be awesome. But let's talk about today's episode, which is review heavy. Because yes. we've got a lot of films to talk about. End of the year. End of the year. That's right. We've got a lot of catching up to do. We're going to talk about the latest Quentin Tarantino film, The Hateful Eight. We'll be talking about a film that... Uh, Very small, independent film with an interesting production story called Tangerine. And then Chris and I will both kind of ping pong a couple really quick uh, reviews about the film's sisters and the film Creed, which each of us have seen respectively uh, solo. So we're going to kind of inform the other person, hey, should you go see this movie or not? as well as informing you, the audience. We'll hit a couple movie news items, and then we're going to finish up the show with our uh, traditional pick of the episode, something that we feel like you ought to go and revisit or see. Maybe you missed, maybe you didn't know existed, or maybe you just haven't seen in a while. So that's our show. A lot to cover. Why don't we get right into it, Chris? Let's do it. With our first review, the latest, the eighth film by Mr. Quentin Tarantino, The Hateful Eight.
0: This here is (laughs) Daisy Domerguet. She's wanted dead or alive for murder. When that sun comes out, I'm
2: taking this woman to hang. Is there anybody here
0: committed to stopping me from doing that?
3: Well, well, well. Looks like Minnie's Haberdasher is about to get cozy for the next few days.
0: Yes, it does.
1: All right, Chris. I kind of cheated with this movie in you a little bit. We always try to go into these reviews, if it's you and I have seen the film, and I really don't want to know your thoughts on the film until we sit down at this table, and I set up the film, and we talk about it, and then I'm surprised, oh, hey, Chris liked it, or oh, Chris hated it, or oh, Chris and I are on the same page or not. This one, I couldn't resist. I saw you at an office staff meeting early this week. We had both seen it the previous week, and I just, I couldn't wait five extra days. (laughs) So I said, Chris, tell me, what did you think? So I know where you are on this film. And I, I feel bad about that because I like the surprise of the end of the, the recording. But so be it. I know you and I are on the same page with this, this film. So let me set up the film. And okay. I want you to tell me where we are because your film, your your sentiments are pretty much going to echo mine. Okay. This is supposedly the eighth film by Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Although if I do the math, there's really been nine. I think he's counting Kill Bill parts one and two as one film. One film. Which Fair enough. sounds like a very Tarantino thing to do. Sure. But The Hateful Eight, we have a, a very large cast of people that have been, many of them, featured in Tarantino's films in the past. Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell is new to – oh, no, he was in Death Proof. That's he was right. in Death Proof. Jennifer Jason Lee is new to the Tarantino uh, family at this family. point. Walter Goggins, uh, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, both from Reservoir Dogs days and Pulp Fiction, uh, Bruce Dern, who I think is new to Tarantino's world – And uh, Zoe Bell, who actually plays a small part, she's also from Death Proof, and I think she's been in a couple other films. So he likes to borrow from a lot of the same family. Mm -hmm. But the whole premise of this film is, in the dead of a Wyoming winter, a bounty hunter and his prisoner find shelter in a cabin currently inhabited by a collection of nefarious characters. This film has been pitched a little bit as a... uh, who done it mystery almost like an agatha christie film where you've got a whole cast of characters in a building and somebody's the bad guy and you don't know who you mix that with of course it being a western genre you get that mixed in with the fact that tarantino went all out and did this whole 70 millimeter shooting of this for big panoramic views of everything and then of course you take the tarantino dialogue and penchant for violence mix it all together chris tell the audience, how you and I equally feel about this film. I,
2: I, this, I feel like the movie that all the other critics have seen that we see ratings for you hear talked about on other podcasts. And I feel like they've seen a different movie. (laughs) Um, I mean, this thing has a 8.1 like rating, like on the IMDB. And then it has like a 78% on rotten tomatoes. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, Get it. Um, the genre listed you know, on IMDb. You know, thank God for IMDb. It just helps us out so much pulling stuff together. But it says comedy, drama, mystery. If it was any one of those things and done well, I'd have a totally different view of this movie. It is 187 minutes. 120 of that, to me, were boring if Quentin Tarantino bores me, something's wrong. Something is wrong. If anything, you can say he's offensive. He's too violent. He's vulgar. He throws around the N-word too much. You know, all these complaints that you mm. always hear about Quentin Tarantino. I have never heard anyone say his films are boring. Now, I, I don't I say I this say entire that. I don't say this entire film is boring. Right. But the whole first half, at least, you know, maybe not 120, but the first 90 minutes at least, hour and a half, it is shot beautifully.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I mean, 70 millimeter, unfortunately, I did not make it to a theater that was showing screening right. it that way. But I could still tell it looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I got the film experience. Would it have been even heightened? Maybe that's the thing. Maybe if you go into a screening that's 70 millimeters, somehow that, Colors your appreciation of the film, and you just kind of drink the magical film cinematic Kool Aid, and you have a different experience. Mm. Well, that being said, I didn't have that experience. I just, and I actually, I like Kurt Russell. Mm -hmm. You know, I liked him in Death Proof. I like him, you know, in general. You know, seems like a fun guy. (laughs) Other movies (laughs) he's been in, it's a fun guy. His acting in the first maybe forty five minutes of this film, I thought was kind of off. And I didn't know if he didn't get that he was supposed to be playing it more hammy comedic or like, you know, like in Death Proof, he plays a certain type of role and he just plays it straight and it works. Mm-hmm. In this, it was almost like he was trying too hard to ham it up or he didn't know what he was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Not through his fault, but maybe through some direction or mm-hmm. script. It just wasn't yeah. kind of clear. Yeah. And um, so I was like, whoa, Kurt Russell, what what what's going on here, buddy? And <laughs> But then that did kind of smooth out and later it was OK. But that kind of set the tone for me. What? Talk a little bit about well, your experience. It,
1: I, I was disappointed in the film as well. Now in hearing your, your spiel there, I, I might be a slight bit less negative than you where I, I did find some things I could appreciate in the film, but overall the film did not work for me. Um, I didn't find it as much boring oh, oh, man! as the problem for me was just the story. And I guess the dialogue that accompanied the story. Here's what I saw with this film. I love the premise. Yeah. The concept is awesome. The
2: concept, him, Quentin Tarantino doing an Agatha Christie type, people locked well, in a room. That sounds in this snowbound setting. Yeah. You know,
1: it's great. Sounds like a good, and great idea. I liked. I didn't mind the acting. I thought Kurt Russell was fine. Uh, I thought Jennifer Jason Leigh was really good. I, I thought, thought Sam was Jackson good. was really good. I thought Bruce Stern was pretty good. I mean, I thought everybody was good. Yeah. So the premise is good. The characters I thought were interesting characters. I thought the the uh, I thought the acting was fine. I thought mm-hmm. it looked beautiful. I loved the music. I did yeah. think the music was really, really good. The score behind right. it. Right. Done by Mark Honey, who Right. Other which things. is, it was yeah. awesome. I mean, yeah. I really want to hear that score again. My my whole issue with it is, is that it's almost like you got this great premise. You stretch it out for three hours, which it didn't need to be stretched out for no. three hours. I love this idea of getting to know each of the characters. But at the end of the day, and again, we're not going to spoil the ending or kind of how it ends up. But it was kind of a just a big fizzle out when it came to like this big built up tension ending that we're expecting.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: And, and I'm trying to figure out how to say this without spoiling anything. When you set up a mystery and you're telling the audience that these many people are the people. And one of them is not who they say they are. And then you kind of cheat by introducing another character that no one was even knew was there. it it, it ruined it for me. It actually kind of deflated the whole thing. I'm like, Oh, so that's, that's now, that's how we're going to end this thing. It's like, okay, you build up some tension. You're trying Quentin to build up tension. This whole first two hours, two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And you get us built up like, OK, you're trying to like really get us excited to think, who is it? Who's 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 not telling the truth? Because Kurt Russell's character keeps saying somebody in here isn't who they say they are. Right. That sets up the premise. All right, something's going to go down. Something's going to happen. And then when you finally find out what actually is going on, it's like, well, OK, yeah, I, I kind of figured that was it. And then you threw this whole other random character at me that's kind of a cheat, I think. It's like, okay, well, then the whole rest of the movie was just kind of a letdown for me. It's like, all right, well, I know now what the deal is. I know what's happening. It was just, I I thought it was just not, it was a great premise, but a really poorly told story. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have any real sense of Quentin Tarantino's excellent dialogue scenes. There was one, Samuel L. Jackson's delivering to Bruce Dern. That I thought was probably the best dialogue-driven scene in the movie. And it was pretty good. It wasn't as good as Inglorious Bastards or Django right. Unchained or Pulp Fiction or any other film I could list out of his 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 repertoire, but it was okay. But all the rest of the dialogue just didn't go anywhere. It's like, give us a, cool, a couple uh, great lines, give us some good timing of those lines, and that's it. And it just didn't lead to anything.
2: I, yeah, I'm on the same page. I'd, I will say that the Quentin Tarantino dialogue instances, the one you mentioned is kind of a standout. And Earlier in the film, in that first half, that I wasn't really crazy about, but there is a scene in a stagecoach between Samuel Jackson and Walton Goggins where they're kind of going back mm-hmm. and forth. And Kurt Russell throws it's in a, a little outline. bit. And that that had a little bit of the Tarantino crackle that like I was expecting three, was good.
1: Two or three good conversations can't carry a three-hour film. No, it can't. Right. No, it can't. I don't feel myself was bored. I, just, I, I kept waiting for this build. That I'm used to with his films. And sometimes some of his films, they start out a little slow and they kind of end, Death Proof especially. I thought Death Proof was so slow until it just got to this big explosive ending in the last 15 minutes. I kind of felt the same way about this, but the ending here was just not really that interesting to me. Yeah. You know? So I guess that's my whole thing is that you have a great premise, but there was just nothing that really interested me about this three hour film. I didn't really find a huge investment in a lot of the characters because I didn't feel like we really got to dig into them enough which is kind of crazy to think eight people over three hours. You would think we'd have a pretty good understanding of everybody. Yeah, you would. Um, so yeah, I was disappointed. I'm not going to say I hate the eight full eight, hateful eight. And it's still not my least favorite Quentin Tarantino film. Death Proof is still my least favorite film.
2: Uh, see, I see. I think it definitely is. I, I mean, granted, I should probably see it again. I can, maybe the time will be when I can watch it at home and I can fast forward through scenes of just snow falling or yeah. scenes of people sitting around in a cabin. But it is my least favorite.
1: Yeah, It's um, my second least favorite of his. Death Proof is still my least favorite. And Death Proof is probably one I really should revisit because I feel like I don't give it a fair shake. But it's definitely in the bottom couple of his his films.
2: Well, in fairness, I just – too to the film, you know, maybe my expectations were too high. I mean there had been a lot of buzz about how the script was leaked and then he was going to not make the movie because he was so mad about it. And then he decided after a script reading held out in California – He's like, you know what, this went so well. You know, there was really positive feedback from the actors. I'm gonna go ahead and make the movie anyway. And then he got the score done by Moore Kennedy, like the Westerns mm-hmm. type score, yeah. and he got all the big names attached you know, to the this script guy built and, up. and filmed in seventy millimeters. Like all this event, and then you know, much ado about nothing. You know, it mm-hmm. just to me just really fell flat. And granted, I think Inglorious Bastards probably sits at the top for me. Oh, it's That's my probably favorite. my favorite Absolutely. film of his. And you know, he's got other good pieces, but I was so surprised to me, this was kind of like his George Lucas moment he mm. got to do whatever he wanted to do he was given the keys to the kingdom now he's had kind of free reign before he got to yeah. make kill Bill and split it up into two sure. movies but this has been the first instance where his instincts didn't match with me as a film goer what I wanted to see
1: mm. interesting That's and you know, the at. the
2: length and just it just seemed overly <laughs> indulgent and not in a way that worked for me was mm. kill Bill indulgent absolutely it was inglorious Bab- bastard's indulgent yeah but it It somehow worked worked, and this just really fell flat.
1: You know, the interesting thing is you and I are in the minority on this. There's a lot of critics, you know, calling this the best film of the year. And I would love to hear
2: why
1: (laughs) I still haven't gotten quite a clear answer myself. I don't, I've tried to read the reviews after I saw it myself. I'm like, I I, I just, I'm not connecting with these reviews at all. Um, Again, your, your opinions a little bit lower than mine, but mine is still pretty much a disappointment. And, Definitely far, far from one of my favorite Tarantino works. It's definitely in the bottom couple for me right now.
2: You know, I'd go so far as to say, through the history of this show, very rarely have we reviewed a movie when I wouldn't recommend seeing it. Mm-hmm. This is one that I I wouldn't recommend to wow. somebody seeing unless they are a diehard Quentin Tarantino film or fan. Then I'd say, yeah, you know, see it just so you can be a completist. But mm-hmm. in general, I think it's kind of there's nothing special about it, and I wouldn't recommend it.
1: Well, so. all right, well. That's the Hateful Eight. Surprise, surprise. We hating reviewed, on the Hateful Eight. Hating on the Hateful Eight. <laughs> a surprise, we reviewed a Quentin Tarantino film, and we both walked away unhappy and disappointed. So that's probably a first, and hopefully it will not happen again, but we'll see. Everybody's entitled to a little misfire here and there. Sure. Yeah. It could be, could be just the way we're seeing this one. So that's the Hateful Eight. Now let's move on to our second review, which is a film that um, probably many of you have not heard of. Uh, but it is available on Netflix now, but it made some rounds in the film festival circuit. It's gotten a little bit of buzz and some play with some celebrity endorsements we'll talk about in a moment, but the film is Tangerine.
2: Hey, Alexandra, come here. Listen, have you seen Cindy? Cinderella. Looks like someone has a crush. Cindy's
3: back on the block? Oh, yeah, she's back. She's back and she's going hard. Merry Christmas, bitch. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) <laughs> i got some good news to tell you about me and chester i know what it is you're breaking up with him thank god i'm gonna be cheating on you like that wait wait, wait, wait. what you you didn't know in
2: balance of our Hay review we're <laughs> gonna as alan teased we're gonna review tangerine which is a much more independent film smaller mm-hmm. budget film much shorter too and half <laughs> half the length and it's short, <laughs> right? Like an hour and a half. Yeah. Nice, nice nugget-sized movie there. Um, Tangerine tells the story of two transgender prostitutes working the streets of Hollywood, California, and on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. searching for somebody who's done one of the people wrong. One right. of the one of the ladies wrong. Um, it was shot on an iPhone 5s, supposedly mm-hmm. on probably multiple iPhone 5s's. Um, So, Alan, this director, Sean Baker, obviously chose this aesthetic. You know, this is an independent film in all Mm. meanings of the word. We've discussed other independent films. The one that comes to my mind that Alan really (laughs) hated Mm -hmm. Um, and other people, other critics this year liked talking about Mm -hmm. being contrarian was Buzzard. Yes. Okay, so we're not discussing Buzzard. You can look back to a a past episode if you want to hear (laughs) about that. But this independent film, you know, you risk... That storyline just sounds like okay, a bunch of people walking around, maybe the shock value of them being Mm -hmm. transgender prostitutes. Mm -hmm. Maybe sounds like it's just kind of a gimmicky, and shot on iPhone 5S could be kind of a gimmicky approach to Mm -hmm. making an independent film. How did this movie work for you, Alan?
1: Um, The movie worked fine. I I enjoyed it. It didn't blow me away. I mean, it was not, you know, I I don't quite get the buzz where some critics are calling it best of the year type of thing. I'm not really seeing that high praise for it. But I appreciated it. I enjoyed it. I had a, I had a pretty good time with the film. You know, I, I was interested to see it because I love the idea of a film being shot on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. But after the first couple minutes and I'm watching the shots, I, that all, I forget about all that. Sure. I'm really just kind of watching because I am interested in the two main characters. Okay. I do enjoy following them. I do enjoy like walking in their shoes a little bit to say. And that's what this film really does. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all about what they see, how they interact with people on the street Uh, The situations they're going through, I I liked it. I thought it was a fine film. Uh, To me, you know, everybody's uh, getting a lot of attention for um, the two lead actresses, which, Mm -hmm. you know, Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, has kind of been a a very public advocate for, I think, Maya Taylor, actually trying to get some some award recognition for her performance. And the thing is, I thought for two people that don't act normally, from what I understand, I thought they were fine. I thought they were fun to watch. Oh, are they best performances of the year I've seen in any film? Absolutely not. But overall, the film was an interesting experiment. It did give me some good insight into a world and culture that I'm, I'll self-admittedly say, not very aware of or not very you know, knowledgeable about. Sure. And it did a great job with that. The film really put you in a great sense of mind of knowing what what's going on with these characters. I thought it was inventive. I thought it was creative. There's a lot of walking and talking shots and you know, a lot of movement shots. And again, I kept reminding myself every once in a while, you remember, this is shot on an iPhone. It looks really good and Mm -hmm. it's done really well. Sure. So, overall, from an independent film standpoint, I think it's a really good example of what strong independent film could be. Um, I didn't love it. I thought it was fine. I thought at the end it was very inconsequential, you know, is kind of how I felt walking away from it. It's like, yeah, okay. It was a fine little excursion for 90 minutes. But I had a good time with it and I do think it's worth checking out to see a good independent film on a very, very low budget done and done, done really well. what do you think?
2: I, I seem I think I liked it a little more than you. Really? What, do you know, do I think it's like, you know, number one film of the year? No. Um, one thing that struck me, Outside of the whole, you know, the fact that it was shot on iPhones, like we've already mentioned, I thought that was pretty impressive, and Mm -hmm. they did fall away, and that it wasn't concentrating on that the whole movie, which, that being said, it's pretty amazing they were able to do that.
1: Yeah, you kind of – I was impressed with the fact that they took a technical premise like that, but they didn't beat you over the head with it. No. I mean, it was just never – no point did I ever catch myself saying, oh, yeah, now I remember they're doing an iPhone shoot. And I think, too, what
2: struck me was I thought, you know, the casting – of this was done really well, mm-hmm. you know, whether, you know, I don't know the story behind the script and how everything was come together, but you know, they, the actors or actresses really took control of the script and really made it theirs now it was believable. You know, I, I didn't recognize anybody in the film. Oh, wow. So for that to be the case and for them to carry it off, is just very solid, you know, very, very mm-hmm. solid performances, very believable. Like you said, I'm not really familiar with, you know, prostitutes in LA and all that kind of like the culture kind of the gritty gritty Mm. underside but it made you sympathetic with these characters that's basically like this is their job sure this is what they do you know this is how they try to make a living try to get by and don't really do that well one of them has just gotten out of prison (laughs) and they're kind of you know it's 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 tough and it also shows a side of um so you have that that aspect then you have um, there's another. There's a gentleman that interacts with him at some points. Mm-hmm. Who's a taxi driver,
1: Rasmic, mm-hmm. and
2: he's he's an immigrant, mm-hmm. and he has his family situation. He's a married man, has a child, and it kind of humanizes what is you know kind of uh, uncomfortable subject matter, mm-hmm. and but it kind of humanizes it and makes you realize like these are real people, and yeah. they're not just done for, you know the transgender prostitutes not just done for shock value it's right. done to kind of make it very realistic and well, down to earth and i i think it it worked and one other aspect that we haven't i mentioned it was the fact that there this all kind of takes place within i guess christmas eve so it kind yeah. of starts in the evening kind of bleeds over to the night and it's a very original take on like a christmas movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um, not one you would show to your family but you know right. it's Kind of an interesting, you know. This is going on. It's on Christmas Eve. They try to celebrate Christmas. They try to have, you know. They go to a like a karaoke type performance mm-hmm. thing of like singing on Christmas Eve, and you know, it's for one of the characters. It's kind of hoping to be this kind of special moment for them, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just it's an interesting realism take on a Christmas movie. Sure. That's you know, kind of your, you know, obviously very independent film, but I appreciate that. And at the end you referenced kind of how it feels kind of throwaway, Mm -hmm. And I kind of, in a way that that helped ground the movie and that they're not really trying to make, make you think about, Oh, these really big points they were trying to get across. It was just kind of a slice of life type. movie. See,
1: and that's what I really appreciated about the film is that, you know, you take this premise and it's two true transgender people playing the two lead roles and they're playing transgender prostitutes in the movie. Right. But that never beats you over the head with that. I mean, it's like there's one scene, and it's actually my favorite scene of the film because I think it's just really interesting what they did. Um, one scene where it really calls attention to the fact that they're transgender, but it does it in a way that I think really is really impressive. It's where the taxi driver, Razmik, played by Karen Karagulian, um, he, he picks up someone, a prostitute. We find out that he has a penchant for pro- picking up prostitutes, and, you know, and he, he knows a lot of the prostitutes in the area kind
2: of the the route that he drives in the yeah, city is often that's kind in of and what around. the business sure. is in that area. Sure.
1: And as he is starting to engage with this this prostitute, it comes to realize that the prostitute is not transgender. Um that it's a true female, you know, born uh, birth female, and he's bothered by it. He's offended by it because this part of town you can't be that. That's kind of his mm-hmm. expression to her. And at that point, it made me kind of realize, I was like, all right, so this is an interesting little twist. You know, yeah. Here's a guy, we're following around, he's kind of invested in this culture here, that's where he is, that's what he appreciates, what he enjoys, and he's actually kind of offended that someone's out on the street who is not transgender now. Right. I thought that scene was just really impressive, and it's the only time it really shines a spotlight on the fact that they are transgender True. characters. True. Otherwise, it's... I mean, you're following them as two human beings having a really kind of rough night, you know, having to deal with a lot of different characters. And and I I did appreciate the film quite a bit. I did enjoy it. I appreciated it. Um, I think it may be a little overrated in some of the reviews, critic circles I've been hearing, but that's just my take on it. I I think there's a lot of other many, many better films out there right now. But this is a really, really well-done independent film.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. Did you have any any Issues? Anything? Any problems? No, no. I
2: mean, it, uh, overall, you know, I, I thought it was a good film. Um, but it is definitely one that is pretty um, graphic. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, definitely not one for the kids. But it, it's, it's a. I think it's a good example of an independent film. I agree. You know, it's not a great, great film. But I mean, I don't even know good. what the
1: budget was on this, but it can't have been much. I mean, at all. I just there's no way there there could be a, a huge budget for this. Um, I'm would looking right tr- now, I'm trying to see. I don't even see a budget listed, so there's I, no way it could be more than you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. I don't see how.
2: Right. So, yeah. I would be interested to see what Sean Baker does next because yeah. he's obviously he's a talented filmmaker. He can make a a really well constructed you know film. So what what's he what's he going to do next? Mm-hmm. So this yeah. isn't his first film, but his first one that I think has really gotten a lot of a lot of acclaim Sure, so.
1: that's Tangerine it is actually on Netflix as we record this, which is how I saw it. And I recommend everybody. Right? You know, if you, if you appreciate independent film, this is a great, great film example to check out. And, uh, and just a, a really interesting take on some interesting, uh, uh, interesting side of culture that not many of us are as, as exposed to. All right. Well, what we'll do Chris is let's go on to our quicker reviews okay. where you and I have both seen a film each that the other one has not seen, but we figured, while we're recording together, let's go ahead and get some opinions on the table uh, about these two films. And so, okay. I'll go first. Okay. I'll talk about the film sisters. Uh, this is the film starring Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Uh, the director is Jason Moore, but uh, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, uh, I'm pretty sure had a hand in writing to some degree. Although Paula Pell, who is a former Saturday night live writer and she's written a lot of other comedy work. I think she's worked with uh, Tina Fey on 30 rock quite a bit. Okay. Uh, pretty well-known writer in the comedy world okay. wrote the screenplay for this film. Hmm. So the premise here is we have two sisters. Uh, one's the stereotypical kind of uh, 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 buttoned up, um, walk the line type of girl who does a lot of public service work and charity work and humanities work and played by Amy Poehler. And then you've got the wild child who just doesn't have her life together Okay. Uh, she and her daughter kind of keep having to move around because they don't uh, have a solid place to live or career played by Tina Fey. Mm-hmm. Their parents tell them that they're going to sell their home, their old household that they grew up in. Okay. They need to go to the house and clean out all their stuff before the new people move in. They get down there and decide they want to throw one big last party to because they're a little myth that the house is getting sold and they feel like they want to relive a few memories before it all goes away. So they have a big, big huge house party with all their old friends from high school in the area coming together okay Um, I will say this about the film this is one of those films where it's either funny or it's not Okay. okay you go to a comedy that's driven by lead comedy actors written by a comedy writer that's meant to be a pure comedy very little much else beyond that it's either funny or it's not funny Okay. This movie Fair enough. is funny.
2: In the I funny did style. have a
1: really fun time watching the film. And I'll tell you why I think I enjoyed it so much. I always enjoy Amy Poehler and Tina Fey in general. I think they're both very talented and they're a lot of fun to watch. Switching their roles a little bit, Tina Fey being the wild child, which is a little against her normal type. <laughs> Amy Poehler being the, little, the, the very, the very uh, straight-laced one. Again, they got to play with their roles a little bit, which was fun. Okay. But what was fun about this film for me, it didn't really kick in until they actually had the party. And the party is so much fun to watch because it's their it's these other characters that they grew up with. So they're all in their forties now. Yeah. Okay. Coming together to have a party. And it just the party just does not go well at first because it's a bunch of 40 year olds all sitting around talking. They're talking about their kids. They're worried about having to go home and relieve the babysitter. I mean, it's just it was not a fun party. And then certain elements get introduced into the party. <laughs> that all of a sudden turn it outrageous. And just watching how out of control it gets over the the last hour of the film was really fun to watch. So the last hour of the film is like the party. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The party is the majority of the film. Okay. And it's really fun. I mean, there's Hmm. not much else to it. It's not a deep movie. They're not going for any (laughs) special messages here. Okay. It is truly just two sisters who have walked different paths, decide to come together and throw a big party and how much fun they have with the party and some of the complications that arise because of said party. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, just to call out a few things, uh, you know, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, of course, very funny. Maya Rudolph is in it. Very funny. Um, James Brolin and Diane Weiss play their parents and they're really <laughs> funny. They're really okay. good in it. Um, huh. John Leguizamo is in it. Okay. Play and does fine. Bobby Monahan, Monahan, who is a, uh, guy on Saturday Night Live you, you probably have seen him <laughs> he's not a big movie star but he's on Saturday Night Live quite a bit sure he has a small part in this film but he's throughout the party and he is hilarious hmm. um Rachel Dratch Samantha B, a lot of like familiar faces in the comedy world all are members of this party hmm. but the one I've got to call out John Cena huh. the pro wrestler
2: no was he also actor well. in train wreck
1: um he might have been I never saw train wreck Really? Yeah, it's still on my list to see. Wow. Yeah. But John Cena plays a drug dealer. I'm going to say it is him. Okay. His part in this was absolutely hysterical. So, he's not in the movie much, but okay. every but moment he counts, is, <laughs> every moment counts that he's in that movie. So, it's a fun, fun movie. It's vulgar. It's over the top, but it's a lot of fun. So, I did have a good time with it. Um, yeah, another one not for the kiddies. Right. But uh, a very, a very fun movie. So, okay.
2: Thanks. Thanks to the, uh, the wonder that is the internet. I did a quick search and yes, John Cena is, is also in Trainwreck. Wreck. Okay. This so he's movie? becoming
1: quite the comedic yes. performer here. So and
2: he doesn't have a, doesn't have a huge part in train wreck, but he does yeah. have a very funny cameo. Same kind of so. idea
1: here. He's, he's okay. in maybe three or four scenes and doesn't have much dialogue in any of the scenes. Well, there's one, one scene. Yeah. I'll leave it. It's funny. It's very good. <laughs> okay. The Sisters. I mean, it's not It's not a perfect comedy. Sure. But it made me laugh enough to say, yeah, if you're looking to go see a very raunchy, funny comedy, this go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, All fair right. enough. So you reviewed the uh, – you saw the film Creed.
2: Of the two of us, at the beginning of the year, if we had thrown out there, okay, they're remaking the Rocky. We had talked about it in a news item that they were remaking or they were going to you know, do something with the Rocky franchise and that – uh, Ryan Coogler, the guy who did uh, Freevale Station, was going to mm-hmm. be the director right. and that he was bringing back his star, Michael, Michael B. Jordan, Jordan to right. be in the movie. You know, it sounded vaguely interesting, but still, I would have kind of lobbed this over to you and let you kind of <coughs> run with it, because I think you're more of a fan of the whole Rocky
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, sports milieu. movies in
1: general, sure, I like.
2: You're right. more of a fan of that. So, I was had no intention mm-hmm. of seeing this movie whatsoever. Okay. All right. Um, but... You know, Rotten Tomatoes. There again, blame Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It was really high on Rotten Tomatoes. It got a really high score in IMDb. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give I'm going to give this a shot. I do, I did like Freevale Station. I mm-hmm. was kind of a fan of that movie. And you know, despite what Fantastic Four was this year, and I do not blame that on Michael B. Jordan, but he was mm-hmm. in the film. Despite that, I was like, let's let's see what he can do with, with Creed. And you know, I have to say. It was pretty good. Yeah. Um, if you like the Rocky movies at all, Mm -hmm. you should definitely go see this because it is a worthwhile, you know, member of that Mm. set of films. If you like sports movies also go see this movie. Okay. Um, it's, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't always fall into all the typical, I guess, traps that could lay out for like, they don't overdo the heartstrings. Like, yeah, there are some Mm. sentimental moments, but, um, Adonis who is the son of Apollo Creed Mm -hmm. and he is the Creed of the title he's basically the unknown son son of Apollo Creed Apollo Creed passed away he had an affair you find that out in the opening part of the film and this is his son that was a result of that so Mm -hmm. he's always kind of had boxing in his blood but has always been very kind of polarized against it because it was the father that he didn't know sounds terrible kind of like Mm -hmm. a movie of the week type Mm -hmm. idea but it actually works, and amazingly enough, again, if you'd thought, like, if you would have asked me, could Sylvester Stallone do a good job in a Rocky movie again, I would have said no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and you've probably heard the critical buzz, he actually does a really good job. Really? Very understated, um, kind of a melancholy, melancholic mm-hmm. performance, but he, he does a really good job, and uh, there's strong performances in the film. There's the the girl who plays the girlfriend of the Adonis character, Mm -hmm. Tessa Thompson. She was also in Dear White People, which was really Um, good. And she was the lead in that movie as well. She's in this movie. And an example of something this movie does that I found, you know, I was surprised for such a, obviously there, it's a franchise type movie. It's a Rocky movie. I don't expect something as, a strong female girlfriend mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. and then
2: add on to that she happens to be hearing impaired or she is she's hearing impaired technically and mm-hmm. she is going to lose her hearing she knows that she states that when the first time it's like yeah I'm have hearing loss and I'll be deaf at some point wow and that's not used Like, that's not a huge plot point in the movie. Like, oh, okay, later in the movie, that's somehow going to really come into play. No, it's just kind of mentioned, and it makes the movie seem more grounded Mm. and real. And, you know, Rocky Balboa's character is played as being very grounded and real. He is a lot older. Mm. He has lost his wife. He basically just kind of runs the restaurant, Adrian's, and just kind of, you know, doesn't really go to the gym anymore because he doesn't want to associate with the whole Rocky Balboa Italian style. Not that he's ashamed of it. He's just kind of like, you know what? That was then. This yeah. is now. I'm just kind of older, kind of living out the rest of my life. Wow. And it was just a very real grounded performance. And, you know, for the boxing fans or sports fans, the sequences in the ring are really well shot and are good. So it, it's a good movie. So well, I, having would, Chris, I would recommend
1: it. Chris give a thumbs up on a Rocky spinoff movie. Strange sports movie means I have to go see this movie now. <laughs> you so, should, you should. Right. And you it's know, been on my list and unfortunately it's not playing here locally. Anymore, if
2: you had, so. if you had said, is Chris going to like the new Tarantino movie or oh, right. a Rocky franchise movie, yeah. which one? And like, that's what blows my mind is I like the Rocky franchise movie much better. They're not hateful age. Wow.
1: So. 2016 is a weird year already, huh? It's
2: been kind of crazy. And sadly, very sadly, upon exiting the theater, I'm like, you know, that was great. But I am hit with this big sense of sadness because I know Hollywood is not going to let this alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because the movie was good. But what's going to ruin it? is any type of sequel built upon this movie. Just revisiting it after all these years and everything and kind of taking an interesting slant where it's actually... Rocky is not the spotlight of the movie. It's this other guy... But what's going to ruin it is they're going to make a Creed too. And I, apparently he's already been on talk shows, talked about how he learned a lot of boxing to be in the movie, um, Michael B. Jordan did. And now he's like, he's all excited. He's like, oh, no, I still box and still do it every day. And it's like, yeah, you're still in training because they're going to make a sequel. Because the movie did make good money. It did pretty good. Did get some good
1: critical buzz. It did.
2: So, sadly, I think it's going to be ruined by a sequel.
1: Well, possibly so. But we'll enjoy it for the standalone <laughs> single film go. that it is right now. So. Well, good. So two good thumbs up from us on Sisters and Creed. Um, both, well, I think Creed is kind of fizzing out at the box it's office now. The it's nearing the gone, end of its so theatrical run. may have another week or two left on it if you're catching the show here um, in time. So let's take a quick little break. When we come back, we're going to do a couple news items, and then we'll end up the show with our uh, recommended picks of the episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys. It's kind of the guilty pleasure of The Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season when the montage would change and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. (laughs) That's (laughs) a perfect example. You need to know you can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what, what I needed the montage. What about on 90210? (laughs) Okay. That 90210, it changed every season. And then they had the beach summer one where like they worked at the country club. Yes. Yes. You know, when the, the opening credits had them like wearing, Bikinis and stuff, mm-hmm. and then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around. Right. Oh <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah yeah. So it's all it's even all. Baywatch when they change lifeguards. <gasps> Absolutely. They had new people running down the beach in red bikinis, but you knew they're a new lifeguard. <laughs> I need to get invested in that. <laughs> so come have a listen to Chick Chat on the Mesh TV. You know you want to.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. Just a reminder. The Mesh.TV is a podcast network that we have a a variety of original shows that you can download, listen to. Some of them you can even watch on video. And uh, we encourage you to go visit our website at TheMesh.TV. That's where you can find out all of these shows that are on The Mesh Network. Go back in time and listen to any old episode you'd like to for any of those shows as well. All the episodes of Candle Films are up there, so please go up and give that a listen as well. You can go back and listen to old reviews. Kind of my favorite thing to do with any other film review podcast, Chris, is, you know, sometimes I hear an episode comes out and they're reviewing a film and I haven't seen that film yet. So I will not listen to the review. It may be a couple months later I finally get to see it. I'll go download the old episode where they reviewed that movie after I see the film and just kind of see how my opinions match up. So I encourage everybody that's a good way to do it, too. If you hear us talking about The Hateful Eight, for example, but you haven't seen it yet, you know. Go back and listen to it later. Download it a few weeks later after you've had a chance to catch up. Hopefully you didn't spend more than like a buck or two on it for our matinee (laughs) showing. But, uh, you know, at least you get to hear the review on your own time. That's what's great about the podcast network in general. So, Chris, my voice, I feel like, is starting to slightly wear out. So Uh let's go ahead and hit into our news items and recommendations. Maybe I can be done with the voice about the time we end out the episode. (laughs) Okay, Uh, We got about two or three news items. Let me kick it off with the first one I've got here. Sure. Um, we haven't talked about superheroes in this episode so far, not and yet. I know you have expressed a little bit of the burnout factor on some superhero films as well, so I'm not going to talk about any of the big ones. Okay. I do want to tell you about one that I actually think you might be interested in seeing. Really? Yep. The okay. film is Doctor Strange. Uh, okay. Have you heard anything about this?
2: I know. Benedict the, Cumberbatch. I know the Batch. The is Batch is be... playing.
1: You know, and only be, I only say maybe Chris might enjoy this one because it seems like it's going to be a little different. Uh, This film is – Dr. Strange in the the comics is a very mystical character. He does more of his battles and fighting in like this mystical plane and it's like kind of just very trippy type of stuff going on. (laughs) And supposedly that's where the film is going to. It's going to be a very trippy, very visually exhilarating film. Right off
2: the bat, I think possibly a strength. I'm not as versed in the Marvel world as you are. Or is he DC? He's Marvel. He's Marvel. Okay. Um so this is a Disney a mm-hmm. Disney thing. Um he never has any interactions with the Avengers, correct?
1: Oh, you know he's going to have an. <sighs> See,
2: I was hoping like that actually makes me excited. Oh, They're doing no. a new movie about this character, yeah. but they have no intention of bringing him into well, the, like the I'll, Avengers I'll universe. This.
1: It's probably going to be kind of like an Ant Man thing, where it's like, all right, he's kind of a standalone character, but there's enough connections ah. with the others. I'm, oh, I'm sure they got to okay. tie everybody. together. I was
2: hoping they were just deciding to do a standalone to do a standalone, yeah. but maybe not.
1: Well, the reason I'm, I'm interested in Doctor Strange because hey, I really like Benedict Cumberbatch and Jones. yeah, so I feel like you know. When they announced him as the uh, playing the part, I'm like, "Oh yeah, perfect." He's and they good. released photos of him in 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 costume. And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's totally him." Oh, he. I
2: I've read a couple of his comic kind of books when I was a kid, and he definitely, I think, looks the part. So, and his kind of aloofness that he did in uh, the movie. What was the movie with the World War II? Imitation Game, right? Yeah, like you know how yeah. his character and kind of the how he nuanced that character. I, yeah, I I think he will do well. But what actually worries me is your description. I'd kind of forgotten about how he often does battles and like these astral planes. That to me just sounds like a CGI nightmare.
1: Well, it could be. That is a concern of mine. But at least I would rather see a CGI film where the CGI is necessary to create an imaginary world. Right. As opposed to trying to make it a real world where everything's CGI around you. So I'm okay with it. And, And also I'm a little curious too. They brought in a director, Scott Derrickson. Uh, Probably not familiar with him because he's mostly a horror film director. Uh He has made Sinister, Sinister 2. He wrote those two screenplays. Hmm. Uh, Director-wise, he has directed uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Sinister, Deliver Us from Evil. So he's a horror director. So to put a horror director into a kind of mystical, magic-fueled superhero movie with Benedict Cumberbatch, like this could be... Kind of interesting. So I'm Do looking we, forward to it.
2: Is the movie, has it already been
1: finished? Do we have a release date? Or no? um, I think uh, it's filming right now. Oh, okay. So I think they're saying uh, November of this year. Oh, so we'll yeah, come out, end out this of year. this year. Yep.
2: Be interested to see. I'm assuming because it's Marvel slash Disney that it would be even with the director that they would limit it to like a PG-13 release. That it wouldn't be. Oh, you know it's going to be,
1: but but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if they wove in some little more uh, horror horror elements into it, light elements just to give it a little bit of an edge. I think that's where the I think that's where the Marvel films need to be right now. Is they need a little more edge to them. Because hmm. you're going to have the Civil War Captain America movie coming out in May, I believe. I
2: think that's and right. And then
1: Doctor Strange is going to be out in November. So that's kind of the two we've got coming up this year. Hmm. So, all
2: Interesting. right, what have you got for us? So, uh, Christopher Nolan. He's I'm
1: a, familiar with him.
2: He, he's, he's kind he's of way we talk about. He is, yeah. okay. and also writer. He writes and directs most yes. of his stuff. He's announced his next, next film, it's entitled Dunkirk. Dunkirk. It, Dunkirk. And okay. it's going to be basically a World War II movie. Ooh. And it's gonna tell the story of a famous evacuation that happened in nineteen forty when three hundred and thirty thousand troops had to be like emergency evacuated from the French mainland because like Nazis were about to, you know, attack the area. So they had to get a, a bunch of people out so there wouldn't be like massive slaughter. Um Tom Hardy and Kenneth Branagh are supposedly in talks already in talks to play roles in the film hmm. but Nolan has stated that they will not be the leads that he wants an unknown like to be the male lead Good. So that's kind of interesting yep um, although I really like both of those actors I can see how they'd be strong supporting characters there's no word yet on like when the filming will start or like an expected release but this is going to be his next next big film so interesting
1: Yeah. excited are you Okay. You were not a big fan of Interstellar. I
2: was not. I yeah. need to revisit it. I've only no. seen it once. But he is a director who, up until that point, I liked all his films yeah. and was a big champion of all his work. Interstellar, not that it was a bad film. I just found it kind of shaggy and loose mm. around the edges, kind of, and not as not as inventive as I would have wanted and kind of predictable in some well, ways as well.
1: I'll, I'll tell you, so, I mean— I I felt that way about The Dark Knight Rises. That was the Mm -hmm. film I felt like was just a little off the rails and just kind of lost a little bit of control that I really appreciate with all of his other films. I thought Interstellar got some of it back. Um, I don't think Interstellar was perfect, but it just worked for me. It was one of those films where the whole package just kind of connected with me somehow, and Mm -hmm. I really appreciated it. But I really do like Christopher Nolan. I still think The Prestige is one of the best films. That is. Um, It's one of my favorites. One of my favorites that he's done? Of course, you know... uh, What's the the one about uh, Inception? Of yeah, course, I really like Inception good film too. As well. And I, Batman Begins is one of my top twenty favorite films of all time. Yeah, so the guy's got a good track record. So absolutely, I'm, I'm I'm excited, and I love the idea of going into World War II period. That should be a lot of fun too.
2: Well, and I think see, when we reviewed Phoenix, I talked about how not that I'm done with World War II movies, but it's so hard that is to me seems like the most filmed event in history. Mm-hmm. It's like World War II. And it's so hard for something for me to kind of be original or seem like an interesting idea. And honestly, you know, if it's centered around, we're trying to evacuate tons of people. How do we get out before mm-hmm. the Nazis really hit this area? So it's like a big escape type yeah, movie. That, sounds that exciting. to me sounds interesting. Cool. And I'll, you know, even though Interstellar I wasn't the biggest <coughs> fan of, Christopher Nolan, the mere fact that his name is attached to it, I know
1: I want to see it. Sure. Yeah. So good. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, so, okay. So, we did a special episode just a couple of weeks ago about this latest Star Wars film. Yes. Now, we're going to talk about the Star Wars world a bit. Okay. We need to do it without spoiling because, again, some people – there's like 20 people out there who have not seen the new Star Wars See, movie yet. I
2: thought, you're, right, I thought your news event was just going to be the fact that it surpassed Avatar, which I was very um, happy about. Well,
1: it had, is the number one domestic film of See, all time. That's uh, good. United States film, it's the biggest one. Uh, I don't think it's going to beat it internationally.
2: Oh, come on. uh, Have hope. Have faith.
1: I'm watching the China (laughs) numbers this this morning. Seriously, I was, because it opened in China today. Ah. And China is the last international market for it to open up in. Okay. If China explodes with it, it could reach Avatar numbers. If China doesn't, then it's going to be number two. All right, China. Come on. Come on, China. You can can do this. So without spoiling anything with episode seven, we can do this, but... I just thought this was interesting. So you and I were both big fans of Episode 7.
2: See, there's one that, in general, has gotten pretty positive response that you and I are kind of— Oh, yeah, we're on
1: the same page with. <laughs> we really liked it. Yeah. Um, there's a petition online circulating right now, though. Uh-oh. Where uh, even though you could argue that most people pretty happy with The Force Awakens— uh, there is a petition that has started I think it's already got over eight or nine thousand signatures Wow um, to have George Lucas brought back what to direct episode 9 the final one of the trilogy Supposedly people are are
2: these people like insane. Is it like gone to an insane asylum and like they just had everybody (laughs) there sign up?
1: They, uh, they are concerned that Colin Trevorrow, who was locked up to do episode nine. He is the Jurassic world guy. He's also the safety, not guaranteed guy. Right. So he's kind of done films on either end of the spectrum, big blockbuster CGI. And he's done a small independent comedy too. Uh, so yeah, they're not happy with Mr. Trevorrow, And they also feel like the George Lucas, should be brought back into the Star Wars fold, that he has not been, he's kind of been kicked out unceremoniously and uh, they feel like he needs to be brought back in. So I don't need to ask your opinion on the matter. Yeah,
2: I kind of just let it fly. You did. (laughs) Um,
1: But I did want to ask an interesting question. I mean, do you feel like, and I'm trying to be devil's advocate on this, with episode seven, do you feel like there was anything detrimental in the film because George Lucas was not involved in some way, shape, or form? I'm not saying directing. But remember, back to episode five, Empire Strikes Back. George Lucas drove the story. It was his story concept for all three of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. But different people wrote the screenplay and directed the film. This is episode seven, the first one where he had nothing to do with it. It wasn't his story. wasn't anything he wrote or anything he directed. Do you feel like episode seven in any way was hurt? Or could have been even better if if Mr. Lucas had had some level of involvement like the original trilogy. Okay. Before I answer that, mm.
2: what are these people petitioning for again? Because my answer has a little bit. They want him
1: to direct. Oh, Lord, nine. no. Okay. okay. They're
2: right. insane. Yeah. They are certifiably insane. Okay. Now, I will say this. Some of the negatives that you and I talked about for The Force Awakens were that although it was a good movie, it kind of was echoing elements of the original films. Maybe a little too much. Maybe like, a little Do we much really too much need another service. Death Star? Maybe do we, we really need the hologram service. being projected? It's like, come on. like Now, I think George Lucas is a horrible, horrible director. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, his original ideas for coming up with this, obviously I owe that to him. You know, he had a lot of good ideas. I think that – and I think his idea for the six movies that have already been made, not the seventh that he had nothing to do with, they were there and they were good. And I think you know different directors were able to take them and make them better. Now, the, you know, the prequels that he did, it's a shame that he wouldn't let somebody else direct them. Yeah. I think that in a way – but even though they were poorly directed, the ideas behind the prequels <laughs> – I think we're good, sure, because it was a good origin story. It kind of explains why Anakin goes bad. It was just horribly directed,
1: yeah, and but had some right.
2: horrible dialogue.
1: I completely agree. Now,
2: could Episode Seven have benefited from how George Lucas could have seen these next movies going? Sure, yeah, but do I think it was a detriment that he wasn't there? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I will yeah. say this too, Colin Trevorrow. I liked Safety Not Guaranteed, Jurassic World. I didn't think was a poorly directed film. No, he didn't write Jurassic World. No, so you know, I think it's a, like I don't.
1: It I was a fine. Lo- I, I thought Jurassic Park was okay. I, I would I love to I see a Jurassic
2: Park movie that was innovative, but I just don't think you're going to get no. that. It's just people want to see dinosaurs smashing stuff. So you know, he gave us, he gave the public, he gave the studios what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's I think he will make an interesting episode nine. And I think this is a very daring kind of move. I'm not really sure why Disney is doing it. Disney, you know, and the Star Wars people are Lucasfilm. Although that's just a name. Why they're doing it, why they're picking a different director for every movie. Well, Um, to be
1: like the original trilogy.
2: Well, and maybe that's that's, yeah, yeah, that's true. Because Lucas only did the first one. Yep. So, Well, here's my thing. And I'm I'm excited about – we've talked about how I'm excited about Ryan Johnson. Yeah. I'm excited about – I'm excited about Colin Trevorrow for the – even though it won't like – you know, because I think
1: it's – But here's the thing. By the time we get ready for episode nine, it's going to be like Return of the Jedi was for the original trilogy. Nobody's going to care who's directing it. (laughs) It's like we would have had two movies with these characters. We're ready for the trilogy, the final chapter of the trilogy. We'd want the story – Right. Whoever's directing it, fine. Somebody direct it, you know. Sure. Maybe name me the director of Return of the Jedi. I knew. Yeah, Richard Markland. Okay. Right. But nobody knows him. Okay. That's <laughs> right. the thing is that, you know, it, it didn't matter at that point. Lawrence I think be, Kasdan
2: did the second one. That's right?
1: right. Empire Strikes Back. Which, yes. Is amazing. The best one. And he um,
2: helped with the screenplay for Force Awakens, right?
1: Okay. Yeah. You know, my wife and I have actually watched all six in the last week and a half. Wow. In order, because my wife actually loves Episode Seven so much. She wanted to go back and watch all six because she never really paid attention to them. Got gotcha. you. And it was interesting to watch her after watching all. You know, we watched the the, the the prequels first. We watched them in order. Ah. And, so not uh,
2: his historical chronological oh, yeah, we order, did it but in you the did... right
1: story order. Okay. And uh, huh. it was interesting because she she made a really astute com- uh, comment about Episode Three. Okay. Which I told her. I said, Hey, listen. As we were leading up to him, like, listen, I kind of feel like Episode Three is the best of these the trilogy. That's just me. <laughs> And she wow. got to, she got the, to best the end. To the the Yeah, I remember yeah, saying she that. she got to the end and she said, you know, there were three moments in that film that I should have been crying and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And she said, why is that? I'm like, it's probably the directing and the acting. I said, honestly, yeah, I know which moments you're talking about. There are moments that should have been, man, beat you down emotionally. And they just didn't connect.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: uh, where she was bawling through several parts of episode seven,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: So I think that just tells you a lot about, you know, you got to connect with your audience emotionally. And I just don't think George Lucas knows how to do that. Right. I watched episode six again. It's the first time I've seen that one in quite a while. (laughs) It is the poorest directed of the original trilogy for sure. Okay. And as I watched it, realizing it's George Lucas who was directing it, it's like, it's also the poorest acted of the three original trilogy, I believe too. Now episode four, episode six. A New Hope. Okay. Yeah. A New Hope. I mean, I think, I think why the original Star Wars was so enamored by everybody loves it so much is because we're introduced to some really great characters. Mm-hmm. It's a great premise. It's a great mm-hmm. story. But I don't think the acting's great. I don't think the directing is great. And I really could see that after watching it in the scope of all these other films. The timing, I think you can tell in Star
2: Wars, Harrison Ford is going to be big. Yeah. Like, you know, if you didn't know, if you brought an alien down or something, like, watch this dude. And, like, you know, don't let him be like, oh, yeah, he seems like he's going to, like, yeah. that kid's going to go places. Because right. he's given, yeah, the direction's not really there. The script's kind of, eh, But the dialogue he and some his, of the lines yeah. that he has and the way he delivers them, like, he makes himself a star. Yeah, he, he kind of got to yeah. show a
1: little charisma. and, Absolutely. and character. Empire Strikes Back is where it all clicked. Sure. You've got a great writer, a great director. And you've got some excellent acting going on. I mean, mm-hmm. it really is the best acted of all six films. It is the best directed of all six films. I mean, it just looks great. It's acted great. It's got the right dramatic beats. Everything there. Return of the Jedi. A little drop down, not much though. I still, it's still my personal favorite, just mm-hmm. from a sentimentality standpoint. Okay, that's the one I saw the most in the theaters when it came out as a kid. I like went to go see it like six or seven times. I think. <laughs> so that's my personal favorite. Sure. Even watching it after Empire Strikes Back, it's like, yeah, Empire is definitely a better movie. No doubt about it. And Return of the Jedi has got enough groan-inducing moments to knock it down a notch on my, <laughs> on my list. But anyway, it's just – so, so my, my answer to the how question How do you of, feel
2: about George Lucas coming back and directing – Oh, no,
1: no, no. No, no directing. He okay. does not need to touch a camera. He does not need to give any line of instructions So to you actor. would not sign this petition? No, not okay. at all. Okay do I feel like that maybe it would have been nice to have some of his story elements integrated and still see him as the godfather of the whole saga? Maybe because I'm with you, the prequels. I think if you boil it down to what happened in the prequels, the story is good. Yeah. It's just the way it was portrayed and told in storage was horrible, Mm -hmm. but the core story going on in those three movies is a good story. It's a interesting story to follow. I would have loved to have seen the prequels directed by somebody else. That would have been Amazing to see those. So anyway, I just thought it was interesting that there's at least eight or 9,000 people (laughs) very, very angry that George Lucas is not directing films.
2: Um, so are you okay with Colin Trevorrow doing episode nine or do you think another director should, I
1: honestly don't even feel like you need to have top level director for these films. I think it helps. Um, but I think my concern is I think Ryan Johnson, I've got a feeling is going to set the bar pretty high. Mm hmm. So my feeling is the third film is going to be a letdown for everybody, no matter what, just because I think you're matching Ryan Johnson, who is.
2: I am so curious to see what he's gonna.
1: Oh yeah, directing, but he's writing it. Like, oh yeah, what is he gonna do? That's what I'm. Well, the fact is we have a completely different writer for each of the films so far. Well, no, Ryan Johnson, I think may be writing Episode Nine as well.
2: I heard that if my memory serves that he was writing episode eight and nine, but he was only directing episode eight. So yeah, I think you're right. I yeah. think
1: so. It's, there'll be a little bit of synergy, you know, sure. connective tissue between the three uh, from a, from a technical standpoint as well. Um No, I'm just, I'm really excited about Ryan Johnson. I could care less who uh, directs episode nine. I mean, to me, if you're continuing the story that Ryan Johnson's writing and this whole trilogy that JJ Abrams kicked off, JJ Abrams is kind of still, having some producer role in the whole thing. I mean, it's going to work. I mean, right. And I could go and direct episode nine and it would probably still be a really, really good. Film you'd be that probably
2: would like. less expensive than yeah, uh, Colin a little Tamara, bit. So yeah, I
1: could probably cut him a good deal. So
2: not only that, but I'm excited that Ryan Johnson after episode eight is going to be a household name. Yeah. And then what is he going to do next? Because he's going to have, I'm assuming probably you know, pretty good clout, some money. Like, what is he going to get? We know what J.J. J. Abrams is going to do. Like yeah. he he's good, but you know, we know the types of films he likes doing. What is,
1: you know, the thing I realized, I, I guess it's kind of coming to. back to episode seven, our only thing that we could really fault the film with that you and I kind of pick it apart for. It, it, and I think it's a J.J. J. Abrams thing. J.J. J. Abrams knows how to direct a good movie. Sure. He knows how to make a movie look really good. Mm-hmm. He knows how to get good performances from his actors. Yep. He's just not the most original guy in the world. And you look back at all of his film history, mission impossible three. Okay. Mm -hmm. Didn't do mission Impossible one. nope. And even mission impossible was a takeoff of a TV series. He did the third one. He made it a really good movie. It's my favorite mission impossible movie of the five that they've done, but it's still a mission impossible movie. And it's not really that different from the other films. Super eight. I didn't care for the film and it was basically borrowing elements from a whole bunch of Spielberg films. Sure. You know, so I mean you take these films that he's actually written and directed and they're not very original. And I think that's probably the argument I've got against episode 7 is that it just wasn't very original. Sure. You could still take the old characters and put them in a very unique, interesting situation. Instead, he put them in a very safe, comfortable situation. We as fans still love it. It's still a great movie. Sure. That's my one fault is that I felt like it was just a little too safe and a little too relying on the old star Wars to like play fan service. But I think that's just JJ's thing. I hope Ryan Johnson is a, if that's the one thing I want from episode eight, it's just, let's be a little more daring. Let's be a little more inventive. Let's be a little more creative and not feel like we've got to do things like the original trilogy did. So, all right. So that's our news items. We're good. Let's wrap that up. Yeah. We'll move on. Let's get our recommendations on on the table here. My voice has got like 5% left, so I can probably squeeze this out. (laughs) So, Chris, do you have a recommendation for our audience of something they can see, find, rent, stream, whatever vehicle it may be?
2: Yes. Okay. Um, my recommendation is going to be Sicario. Oh. And uh, it's a 2015 film. It's the latest film from the ne- director Denis Villeneuve. Um, oh,
1: got that. I think you got that right.
2: Maybe. Um, yeah. But he has been discussed, the director's work has been discussed previously on the show. He did Enemy, which you yep. and I both liked. And then before that, he did Prisoners, prisoners. which
1: we also reviewed on the That's show. Right. Um, he, I was a big fan of Prisoners. Uh, I was okay with Enemy.
2: I liked Enemy a lot. Prisoners I was okay with it was a really tough subject matter yeah. about child abductions. This but both guy, were
1: done really well.
2: Both yeah, both were done well. Um this guy, you know, he's now gonna make the list of directors that regardless of what he's doing, I'm going to see it. Wow.
1: For Sicario, so, really. For
2: Sicario, yeah. Sicario, I'll read you the brief. There again, thank you, IMDB. Brief plot synopsis. An idealistic FBI agent played by Emily Blunt is enlisted by a government task force to aid in the escalating war against drugs at the border area between the U S and Mexico. Hmm. So it sounds like, Oh, it's like a traffic type movie. It's it's nothing you haven't seen before, like the war on drugs and how things are bad, but just the reality based nature of the movie. I tend to like those type of movies and the characters played by Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin and Emily Hmm. Blunt all of them are really well written Good. and the movie is intense from the very opening part of the movie all the way to the very end of the movie. Wow. It is like stressful hmm. okay. <laughs> and keeps you kept me riveted. Even though you feel like you've seen like, Oh yeah. raiding drug lords and all this kind. Of, you've seen this type of thing before. Um, just really well acted, really well plotted movie. i I really liked it. So, wow. Sicario. Yeah, you
1: know, that's the interesting thing. When I first saw the film, the trailer, and heard about it, I had zero interest. I heard the director, I got I had a little more interest because of how much I liked his other two films. Um, but I still just never got enough enough enthusiasm up to go see it. But it sounds like uh, sounds like it's a good pick.
2: And he's uh, this was not written by him. Mm-hmm. Um, this was written by Taylor Sheridan. I am not sure if his other films were written by him or not. But what gives me hope is that he can take something like you know, a story that seems very, you know, tried and true. It's like a drug war movie. Mm -hmm. He can take that and do something very original with it. So Mm -hmm. that gives me, it's like, you know, (laughs) <laughs> what would a star Wars movie directed by this dude look like?
1: <laughs> Who knows? That's kind of our ongoing um, question now is we're going to ask right. every good director we come across. What would a star Wars what would movie a star Wars directed movie? by this guy be like? So. Right.
2: Actually, I don't think he's written the ones that we've mentioned. I don't think he wrote any of them. So he's a really good director that has a visual style mm-hmm. that can take a story and kind of fit it into his wow. yeah. visual wheelhouse or whatever, along with his cinematographers. But, nice. um, so I recommend um, Sicario. It's available.
1: iTunes. I don't think yeah. it's
2: streaming on Netflix Yeah, I don't yet. think it is. But I think
1: iTunes, Amazon, the kind of the typical places you can rent films for, for, for purchase. So, great. Um, my film, I know it's one you saw. And okay. uh, it's one that got a lot of buzz last year, maybe, but really didn't get any Oscar nominations, although it was – batted around that it was a possibility I finally Rio had two. To,
2: hmm? Rio Two.
1: yes exactly okay. <laughs> uh, I hadn't seen the original so I was afraid I was gonna be lost with number two but, but no. uh, it's one of those situations where the sequel is so much better than the original <laughs> right um, no this was a uh, nightcrawler ah. um, the uh, Jake Gyllenhaal film right. uh, by Dan Gilroy I had not seen it I caught up on it because it's on Netflix now mm-hmm. and had a chance to watch it and uh, boy I really loved this movie I thought it was great Okay. Um, and I know I, I'm trying to put my finger what it is about it. I, it's probably one of the first, one of the few performances, Jake Hall that I really was like, impressed. it's a very
2: heightened performance. Yes. But I think it's a very good performance, oh, no, it, but it's but it very works. like, I guess you could say it's a very showy performance. He's a very kind of showy character, He's an
1: odd character. Yeah. And he has to play up a lot of odd qualities about himself. Sure. Um, but I really, really appreciate this film. I just think, uh, you know, it it, it 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 explored a type of person, a type of job, a type of career move that was kind of foreign to me. Sure. This whole news gathering, video service footage. I'm I, I started my you know my professional career doing videotape, videotaping. You know, so I'm the camcorders they're using and all the kind of run and gun stuff. that was I, I kind of. Dug that. I kind of liked that the film was actually focusing on that element of a job.
2: Sure. News gathering.
1: News gathering, yeah. It's yeah. just something you just don't really think a whole lot about. When you're watching the news and there's footage of the wreck or the aftermath, you don't think to yourself, I wonder how they got that footage and I wonder who else got that. Did somebody from the station get it or did they use an outside source? Not that you think about, but yet, there this is. film did a great job of digging you under that underside. Um, it's a dark movie. It's a. Not the most flattering of the news industry. Oh, no, no, no. Not at all. <laughs> and it does not end on any kind of happy, cheery note. No. I mean, it's it's a, it's a it, it could be a challenging movie for some people to watch. Yeah. But I thought what it has to say about the nature of media, maybe sure. not news gathering specifically, but more media in general, mm-hmm. um, was really impressive. And it was a heightened film, yes. I, yeah. I feel like the dialogue, some of the scenes a little over the top, some of the dialogue a little heightened. But it was a fun movie to watch, and I just really, really had a good time with this one. Uh, Renee Russo, I'll say too, was really good as the uh, station yes. manager. Yes, um, it was good. Kind of the little the little game that she had to play with Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Louis Bloom, was a. Uh,
2: They're seen in the Mexican restaurants. Oh yeah,
1: awesome, really good. So I really enjoyed the movie, and I loved the tension building ending uh, that takes place at a coffee shop, I believe. Just the way they built that scene up around it and how it ended. Um, it's really good. It's okay. a Nightcrawler. It's a tough watch, but I think it's a really interesting, fun film. So cool. Yeah. So that's our show for today. Uh, lots of lots of good stuff. Hateful 8 we We're not big <laughs> fans of. We're. I'm not using the word hating, but you know we are saying that we're not liking it. Chris was pretty down on it. I was really close to where he was on it as well. Um, then we had the film uh, Tangerine, which we both liked. Chris had a, a more positive view of it than I did, but I think we both expect, can say safely, it was a very very positive, strong, independent film Yeah, that did that did its work really well. Then we had our quick review, Sisters and Creed, both of us just giving a thumbs up on. Chris, surprisingly so with Creed, good to hear. <laughs> Me with Sisters, not a perfect movie, but it is a lot of fun at the movie theater uh, to go and have a good laugh. Then our picks, Nightcrawler, and you had the pick, Sicario, Sicario as well. Then a couple of news items we threw out there about Star Wars directors, about, um, uh, shoot, what else did we talk about in the news? Nolan's new film. Oh, yeah, Christopher Nolan's new film. And then I said something else. Oh, Doctor Strange. Talking there you about go. that. Pretty good episode. Lots of stuff covered. My voice, I'm going to take it home and rest it now <laughs> for the weekend. I don't have to say a whole lot the next rest of the night, so that's good. Uh, Chris, if somebody wanted to connect with us, find out more about Foot Candle or anything else, where should they go?
2: So you can drop us an email at info at the TV. Let us know some movies that you want to hear us talk about. Let us know why we are wrong
1: about Hateful Eight. Yeah, I really would actually like to hear some Just, people really – arguing that with us. Tell,
2: tell us what made it the film that everyone else is like raving about that we have no idea what they saw. So <laughs> drop us an email at info at the You can also go to um, TheMesh.TV website as well and find back episodes of Foot Candle Films. Alan mentioned that previously. All of our episodes are up there for your listening pleasure. You can also follow Alan and I on Letterboxd. That's dot com where we review movies and just kind of keep an ongoing diary mm-hmm. about what we're watching at the time.
1: And I am pretty, pretty good about logging all my films in letterbox right now. So uh, unfortunately I'm not as verbose on the comments and, and reviews like I should be, but at least if you want to see what I've seen letterbox is a great way to see that. And I do put the star ratings after we've recorded our reviews of the films on this podcast.
2: One thing I want to be sure to mention it is 2016. We've started a new year. We wish you happy new year. We are also going to be having a Foot Candle Film Festival what? in 2016 are in we? September again. Really? Yes. Nice. So, not doing any ticketing information right now, but September 23rd through the 25th, we will be holding our second annual Foot Candle Film Festival. And if you are a filmmaker and you're listening to this show and you would like to submit something, go to either footcandlefilmfestival.org. There's a link there. So f- dot .com.
1: Oops. Footcandlefilmfestival.com.
2: It's footcandle.org, but footcandlefilmfestival.com.
1: footcandlefilmfestival.com.
2: We like to give equal love to the endings
1: we of websites. So yes.
2: finding Don't the, go to
1: footcandle.com. <laughs> right.
2: I, I think believe. you'll find like a lighting website yeah. or something.
1: I mean, you can go there. I mean, I'm sure I mean, they've got some nice lights, sure. but it's not going to be us. It'll have nothing but. to do with us.
2: Go to either one of those websites and find out about our festival. Or just do the
1: Google search, Foot Candle Film Festival.
2: Yeah. And there'll be a way to submit a film, and we'd love to, you know, look at your work and possibly
1: have it at our festival. Absolutely. (laughs) Foot (laughs) Candle Film Festival 2, (laughs) Electric Trigaloo, coming this fall, (laughs) September. Very exciting. Um, Okay, so I guess that's it. We're going to wrap up the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Happy 2016. Be on the lookout for a best of and Oscar prediction show coming up in the near future, as well as our normal ongoing series as well. So stay tuned for the next episodes, and until then, take care. See you in the ticket
2: line.
0: Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpeltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv discover other network shows, and give us feedback on what you just heard.